0: Welcome to the first of a few episodes that were recorded live in the conference halls of the American Glaucoma Society 21st Annual Meeting at Dana Point, California in March 2011. I'm Robert Schertzer, Clinical Associate Professor at the University of British Columbia, Department of Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences, and Director of the West Coast Glaucoma Centre in Vancouver, British Columbia. And we're talking about glaucoma with my guest, Josh Ehrlich, from the Vile Cornell Medical College in New York State. In this episode, number 15, for late March 2011, we discuss baseline corneal hysteresis and its relationship with the amount of IOP reduction in prostate and in treatment. We're live on scene at the American Glaucoma Society Annual Meeting, and I'm talking today with Josh Ehrlich uh, about a poster that he's prepared uh, with very interesting research that is related to corneal hysteresis and patients with differing corneal hysteresis seem to show a different pressure reduction uh, when tested with prostaglandin and
1: if you could just tell us more about that. Sure, my pleasure. So the basic design of the study we have is a, uh, is a retrospective design where we looked back at the charts of uh, 57 patients who were treatment-naive and newly diagnosed with glaucoma, so they'd never been treated with, uh, with uh, prostaglandins, other drops, or any, uh, any surgical therapy. And uh, upon diagnosis, we, uh, we tested them with the ORA, the Ocular Response Analyzer, which uh, produces the corneal hysteresis value, which is thought to be a measure of the rigidity of the cornea. Additionally, we, of course, took a baseline uh, intraocular pressure measurement at this time and uh, and collected basic demographic data. And what we looked at was... Uh what we looked at was whether this uh, corneal hysteresis value at the time of diagnosis of glaucoma uh, was associated with the reduction in intraocular pressure that patients experienced when begun on a prostaglandin analog. And we found that there actually was such a relationship. In fact, the the approximately 15 patients that were in the lowest quartile of corneal hysteresis experienced a full 29% reduction in intraocular pressure after a mean follow-up of about two and a half months. However, patients in the highest corneal hysteresis quartile experienced only an 8% drop in IOP over this period of time. So we said to ourselves, does this exist, this finding, independent of baseline pressure? Because we wanted to be sure what we were experiencing wasn't simply a regression to the mean. And in fact, in a multivariable model, we found that baseline hysteresis did predict the amount of, uh, of, of IOP reduction from prostaglandin therapy independent of baseline IOP. So the implications of this study are actually uh, are actually um, are actually quite a few implications to this study. And uh, firstly, the obvious one is for a patient walking in your clinic. Uh, what we what we contend is that uh, is that this may tell us something about what we can what we can prognosticate, what we can expect in terms of a a medication response for a newly diagnosed patient. Additionally, this may have implications for selecting patients for clinical trials of medications and surgical devices. Um, Instead of necessarily selecting the patient in the the highest quartile of hysteresis, who we can... Yes, be confident with some de- or have some degree of certainty that a washout period isn't going to cause them to progress and uh, and go blind over a short period of time. We can also, with some degree of certainty, say that this patient isn't going to have a great reduction in IOP, and so we're not really going to be able to show efficacy among that cohort or that sub cohort. The reason for this finding isn't entirely clear, although we'd like to emphasize that this actually is somewhat similar to a finding that was reported in the ocular hypertension treatment study, which was that patients with thinner corneas uh, actually had a greater response to, to intraocular pressure lowering drops. Pretty similar to our finding, um, and they, of course, suggested that perhaps this was a uh, this was a feature of uh, of differential penetration of the drops through the cornea. Um, And a similar thing could be at work here. How did you measure the intraocular pressure? If a
0: lot of that, uh, our measurement of intraocular pressure is related to corneal hysteresis, uh, how is that controlled for with the way pressure was measured here?
1: So there's two things. Um, Of course, intraocular pressure, I shouldn't say of course. uh, We have some evidence that corneal hysteresis is correlated with intraocular pressure, a change change in pressure causing a change in hysteresis, or perhaps vice versa. Um, We actually found... On average, we saw an IOP change of about uh, 3.2 millimeters of mercury, and hysteresis has changed by about a half a millimeter of mercury over that same period. So uh, so you're entirely correct. What we did was two things to kind of control for this or take account of it. Um, One was that the intraocular pressure measurement that we used was actually the Goldman-correlated IOP measurement that's given by the ocular response analyzer. So rather than introducing two separate pieces of error, that that belongs to the ocular response analyzer and that which we get from Goldman tonometry, we actually sort of limited it to one piece by just having one piece of instrumentation to make these measurements. The other thing we did is we controlled for baseline IOP. Um, We adjusted for that in the final model. Any correlation that hysteresis has with the decrease in IOP over time is not dependent on that baseline IOP measurement.
0: Great. And one more question. Is it possible that this effect is only related to the use of prostaglandin? Have you tried this for any other medications?
1: So it is possible that it, it it's certainly a possibility that this is only related to the use of prostaglandins. And we know that prostaglandins do affect the extracellular matrix and have some unique um, effects on the eye. Um that said, there, there's certainly uh, certainly a lot of room and a need to do similar studies looking at other drops, um, but also looking at surgical interventions, whether a similar thing happens with, uh, with laser therapy or incisional surgery. And uh, results on that should be forthcoming, and we're looking into that, and I think other groups may be working on similar things.
0: Great. Thanks so much, Josh, for talking. My pleasure. Well, that's our show for today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe via RSS feed for my whole blog, iTunes, or the iHandbook app for the iPhone or Android device. Follow me on Twitter where I'm Rob Schertzer and check out my office website at westcoastglacoma.com. Feel free to drop me a line at podcast at iguy.org and to rate this series on iTunes. Please help detect and treat glaucoma by keeping yourself informed.